Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. Um, as you can see, I'm doing a little bit of tweaking on the studio. I've had to order some uh, new bookshelves because there's so many books coming into the show because there's so many fantastic guests on the show. The studio is also in a little bit of disarray as we're doing a little bit of rebuilding for the new season. Yes, that's right. Coming up on celebrating our one year anniversary, which brings us to uh, season three. Complicated. We'll talk about another time. But hey, before we get to today's podcast with a very special guest. I want to say thank you to my sponsors who joined the show. We have authorbytes.com who is offering, hey, three months free with a one-year contract. And my good friends at Writer's Block Coffee who helped support my trip out to Thriller Fest in New York City. Uh, get you 15% off your first order. On both sponsors, just use the code the Thriller Zone. Makes kind of sense, right? All right, on today's show, Mark Graney, he's got a new book called Armored. Now you may recall um, February, March-ish, he came on the show, we we're talking about Sierra 6 and we were talking about the Audible book, audiobook by Audible, uh, by the same title. What he did was a little reverse engineering and turned it into a book and it's a hefty one. Uh, so we're gonna be talking with him in just a quick second. Matter of fact, let's do that now because he's waiting in the green room. And, you know, I don't like to keep those big stars waiting. So uh, let's get to it. Mark? Well, uh, welcome back to Thank the you. Thriller Zone. Yeah. Great to be here. We have so much to talk about as well as this epic beast. I, uh, I'm using it for working out, Mark. I'm, uh... <laughs> Stick up a couple of my old Clancy books because those were big, fat monsters. That's actually pretty small compared. Oh, I got to say that uh, we're going to get to this, but I, I do want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about Thriller Fest because you were uh, the rock star of the show, kind of. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's funny because I started going in 2009 right before my first book came out. And I've had a, a really nice steady progress over 13 years, but it, it's never been quantum leapy or anything like that. So uh, it's it's funny that I uh, sort of sit at the big boys and girls table now, whereas I didn't for several, several years there. But uh, it's a lot of fun to go. And, you know, honestly, we haven't seen each other. Most of, I haven't seen most of those people in two years or whatever, two and a half years. Yeah. So um, it, it was extra fun this time. It's hard to believe. Now, 2009 sounds like forever ago. Um, and I'm not a mathematician, but that's something like 13 years. Mm -hmm. It's a lot like 13 years, yeah. And I'm, I sat there thinking about that. I was watching one of your panels and I thought, and you were, you know, everyone was asking you some of the standard questions. And I thought, this guy has been at it for over a dozen years and it seems like the way we're sitting i'm trying to trying to discuss it as though i am um you know joe every guy but it seems like the key has just been and excuse me for being captain obvious steady eddie and just chipping away right yeah i mean it's like i i look back at it and like i said it, i you know, obviously, when I started working with Tom Clancy in 2011, that was a big leap 
leap forward, but it's it's been two books a year, almost every year. And uh, I'm always behind on something and late getting started on the next thing. And so there's really not a whole lot of time to sit there and go, look what I look where I am or anything like that. It's mostly like, uh, you know, as you said, you know, I probably got a decent amount of attention at Thriller Fest this year, but my brain every day was on next year's book, regardless of the fact there's a movie coming out and I've got this book coming out in a, yeah. in a few weeks. Um, you know, I have to be like, all right, that's what everybody else wants to talk about, but I need to save some space in my mind to, you know, write a couple thousand words today. <laughs> and then that never really changes. All right. So back to Thriller Fest, we're talking about, uh, I mean, if you weren't, if you weren't teaching a course uh, a, a or speaking on a panel or emceeing the banquet, you know, I wondered, did you get it? I kind of know because I do, do stalk you on Instagram. But I mean, how about you and Allison? You got a chance to get out and kind of enjoy the city a little bit, didn't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We got there a week. Uh, well, we got there on a Monday night because I was teaching a class all day Tuesday. So we just the two of us went out for dinner and that night and then the next night. And then after that, it was pretty much uh, dinners with groups and stuff. But I mean, really, everybody I work with up there, they're all friends of mine now. And all of my you know sort of peers who are authors are friends of mine and um so it was always fun there was you know i think after about five days we're like we never go out you know six nights in a row this feels really hard yeah to, to muster it up but i mean obviously it's a great problem to have and, and we had a blast i lost my voice almost every day of the of the event and your wife allison i mean come on she's even more beautiful in person oh i i agree thank you for saying that she wanted to pop in here today but she's the the kids are getting ready for this hawaii trip and nobody has what they need and so there's a lot of running around i don't think she's in the she's not on the property at, at the moment okay yeah we were gonna try to do a little i was, I was hoping she would photobomb the show because uh, yeah. she goes oh yeah come in there sneak in yeah, yeah if she makes it back i'm sure she'll shoot back here she knows about it but uh they had some crisis going on. Sure. And I know this is going to be a tough question because I caught the um, the panel alongside, I think it was CJ Box and mm -hmm. uh, Alifair Burke, and you were popping in on so many. And I, and I have a habit of bouncing back and forth so that I can absorb as much as I can. Right. But do you have, and I know this is loaded, do you have a highlight that, that one moment where you went, wow, uh, this was pretty more than spectacular? Well, gosh, I mean, every time I'm always sitting with people and, uh, you know, I'm just astounded that I'm sitting, you know, 10 feet away from George R. R. Martin or, or uh, James Grady, who, who wrote um, Six Days of the Condor, you know, and just all these people that are just kind of heroes and just really big stars. This time, Diana Gabaldon was there who wrote the Outlander series or writes the Outlander series. And uh you know, just to be in her presence, CJ Box has got two TV shows on TV, the nicest, most unassuming guy in the world. And uh, it's cool to, yeah, I, I'd shaken his hand before, but we actually, you know, talked a little bit this time. And I, I'm always, I, I literally, three or four years ago, Ken Follett came to this event and I was sort of too nervous to go up and talk to him. And Nelson DeMille came up, was at the event and, uh, and I didn't want to talk to him. I mean, I wanted to talk to him, but sure. you know, I didn't know what to say. And uh, Frederick Forsyth was honored this year, but he couldn't make it. Uh, just, you know, he lives in England and uh, couldn't make it over. And uh, I was telling myself all spring, like, if he physically shows up, then I'm definitely going to talk to him. And then, unfortunately, it wasn't there. But uh, it's, it's never lost on me that I'm, I'm around these people that uh, I have such respect for. You know, it's so interesting. Uh, uh, 
we all think that we're the geeks and that uh, you're the star and that you wouldn't have a thought like that. So it's really neat uh, to hear something like that. And I think one of my favorite things about this whole Thriller Fest was the fact that you do get to meet your you know, literary heroes and they're so unassuming and so approachable and, and you think they wouldn't be. Um, yeah. and, and having been in radio uh, most of my life and hung out with rock stars and movie stars and so forth, they don't always act like the superstars that these authors are. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I've always stressed that to people that are, you know, coming to these events and maybe they don't have a published, you know, they're uh, aspiring to be published. And I always tell them like, you know, the first two years I would go to these things, I would, or, you know, the few years before I was published. I would stand on one side of the bar or the coffee shop and see the authors on the other side and be like, well, that's where the authors go and stand. You know, I'm going to stay over here. And uh, then once I started getting into it and you just become part of that group, you realize that, you know, the, the, everybody just kind of intermingles and nobody in my little group of published author uh, friends, you know, notices whether or not, you know, you have a seven book deal or something like that. It's just, you know, like, if you're if you're uh, a, a nice person and, and you know how to manage someone else's time and, and all that, I mean, I do get a whole lot of people that you know, sort of pin you into the corner and tell you about the six book series they're thinking about writing or or whatever, and that's a little bit that gets tiring, and that's probably why some people can get a little bit standoffish because nobody really understands the scale. I mean, to this day, I will have, uh, you know, I'll get sixty emails a day or or social media messages or whatever. And, you know, somebody will ask me a question. If I don't respond in a day, they'll come back like, you know, they've been ignored. And I look at that like empathetically and I say, well, their perspective is they didn't get 60 emails a day with someone asking them to read a book. Um, I, don't, I don't get 60 people a day ask, asking me to read their book, but I do get, you know, every day someone asks me if I, would, if I wouldn't mind taking two weeks out of my uh, free time to, to read their novel. And you can't, you can't do it at that level. But, um, you know, when people come up and approach you and, and they do it in a nice, easygoing way, just one human being to another, it, it's, it's a great thing. That's never, that's never going to get tiring. That's a great point, Mark. And I was talking to Chris Hottie over uh, coffee uh, one morning, and he, said, he was making a, a similar comment that, you know, how people will sometimes go in and do their pitches and the magic, and, and, and they'll put all this emphasis on the classes and so forth. And I don't want to take away from thriller fest but so much of the real magic does happen over coffee over drinks Absolutely. hanging out in the lobby and and just being chill and real you know yeah 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 and then and also to see that it's not this rarefied air the people that have book deals and the people that don't have book deals i mean there's you know it took me forever to get published i was in my 40s before i got published and and i wish when i was younger that i had you know known an author or knew somebody that knew an author or gone to a conference or something like that. I was aspiring and I really did think that, you know, those were the rock stars and you can't, you couldn't get near them or whatever and nothing could be further from the truth. And it really sort of opens up the possibilities. It's like, these people aren't magicians. They're just working hard and, you know, they might have some aptitude, but they've developed it over time. And that, you know, that's like anybody in any job and it's really not a highfalutin industry like I thought it was uh, looking at it from the outside. And we're going to probably cover that uh, in a couple of minutes. But while I'm on it and it's on the top of my mind, I do want to say that. And you've just made the most perfect point, And that is this. 
we think it's some kind of magic pill when in reality, and I've watched you from afar for much longer than this podcast, and it really comes down to putting in solid, consistent work. Like you said, right. hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in this space, but my mind is already working on that. Yeah. And if you put in the t- if you really want it, let's start there and you put in the time and you have the experience and or knowledge and or, you know, uh, 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 intuition that really makes it magic. Yeah. And you are a little bit lucky. It's pretty likely you're going to make it in some form. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I acknowledge all the places where luck, you know, good luck happened. I always said, I'm a very lucky person. There's a lot of good luck and a lot of bad luck, but as far as my career, I've had a lot of good luck, but I I do think, you know, I tell people that I can't tell you if you're going to be successful or even if you're going to be published, but I can tell you, if you go spend an hour in your book right now, working on it, it, you'll be a better writer in an hour. You're, you're, your work in progress will be better than it was an hour ago. And I have so many people like reaching out to me for advice and they don't want advice. They want some sort of hookup or inside, you know, link. Yeah. And they're like, you know, what would you say to an aspiring author? And the, and I don't usually say this because I mean, it comes off a little harsh, but it's like, I would suggest you stop emailing authors and asking them how to do it and just sit down and do it. And it's, it's as simple as that. And it, and it, you have to have your nose in the work. Uh, for a really, really long time. And the only reason I had success was I recognized before I was published that I really liked to write books and I would write the, the, for the rest of my life, whether or not I got published. And, and uh, you know, I was definitely frustrated, you know, hearing no's and all that. I'm not any different from anybody else, but um, I really like to do it. And so there's some people that, you know, they've been plotting out the story they're going to write someday for, for a decade. And uh, or they're, you know, they started and started 10 different things and put it aside and started something else. And I, and those people I worry about because, you know, I, I, if, if you don't love doing it, then it's just hard work. I, I don't mind hard work if it's something I enjoy doing, you know, I, I used to play soccer and it, you know, you, you trained like crazy, but it was fun to do it. And, uh, you know, foreign languages, I've, I have no aptitude in foreign languages. There's people that have studied a lot less than me and are a lot better than me in, in different languages but I really love to do it. So I put the time in and got something out of it. So that sort of has to be its own reward. And then you just kind of let everything else, you know, fall into place if, if, if you love to do it and keep doing it. Well, you just said the magic key there. I mean, it, it really goes down to when you said, you know what, if I wasn't going to be the success that I am now, uh, I was still going to do it. Now, yeah. a lot of people, you know, if there isn't that, if I can't make it to that end goal, then I'm going to quit. Well, then that tells me that maybe that's not really what you truly, truly love, right? I mean, I know it's oversimplistic, but. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's it. Basically, everybody, you know, there's so many people that are like, just never quit. And if you, if you believe in yourself, you can do it. And I'm like, I don't know. I, you know, if if I wanted to be the goalkeeper for Manchester United, I could believe in myself, you know, as much as I wanted to, and I'm probably not going to do it. (laughs) I, you know, not be, not going to be able to, uh, to make it as a professional soccer player or a red, I'd love to be a formula one driver. That'd be awesome, but I'm probably not going to do it no matter how much, you know, I believe in myself or want it. So it's, it's all about the work and it's not about all this other artifice that people, you know, throw into it. Yeah. 
And back to that Formula One, two things. Uh, you haven't been driving Formula One, so you don't have any experience under your belt, you yeah. know, per se. Yeah. And they'd have to retrofit, build you a special car because of your height anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably so, probably so. <laughs> All right, so let's let's do a little head count, and these numbers may fluctuate just a little bit. So we're talking about te- uh, seven Tom Clancy novels, eleven Gray Man, yeah, with the movie on Netflix, which I cannot. I I I don't know the last time I was as excited about seeing uh, a movie as this one. I'm excited too, <laughs> and I think it's because well, uh, Ryan Gosling. I mean, he just has this thing about him, that man of mystery. He I feel like he can do anything. And I think that yeah. would, there couldn't have been a better choice. Yeah, but so, so, yeah, so you got that. You got several audiobooks, one of which is turned into the book that we're going to be talking about today. And, you know, I want to circle back to something many of us try to imagine. Oh, what must it be like? And I thought about this watching you at one of the panels. And I'm thinking, and it really does go back to time. And 09 was the first um the first real recognition but let's go back how far back were you writing when you were just saying you know i'm gonna give this a try and see if i can make it yeah i started writing my first book in 1990 and i didn't finish that book until 05 and then immediately wrote something so i spent 15 years on it never showed it to anybody other than a couple of friends um never tried to get it published but then i wrote something else and i got that in front of an agent and he liked my writing but didn't think it was the right, you know, first book for someone. So I wrote something else and I wrote something else. So really from age 1990, I mean, from 1990, about age 22 to age 42, when I was published, I'd been writing the whole time. Um, I guess I got the book deal right before I turned 41. Uh, I wrote the book when I was 40 and that, the one that was finally published. So there's still to this day, even though I've been at it for 13 years, um, I was, I was, non-published author a lot longer than I was a published author. But I want my listeners, especially those who are avid writers, to really absorb that because, you know, we're in this world, Mark, correct me if you think I'm wrong, of this instant gratification. And we, you know, to your point a second ago, we're always looking, I want the inside secret. I want that thing that will that'll uh, a rabbit jump me ahead of the line. There is no rabbit jump. There is no secret right. sauce. It really does come down to timing and, perf- and perfecting, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I disappoint some people because they think I can somehow get them published if they become my friend or, or, you know, like they reach out to me and I tell them I have four of my own manuscripts that never got published. You know, if I had the ability, it's like, oh, this seems like a nice guy who sent me a message. I should totally, you know, hook them up with my editor and my agent and, uh, you know, tell them, you know, what accountant can help him count his millions of dollars or something. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, if, if I could do that, I would have done that for myself. Right. The several, the several books that I have that have never been published. It's just consistency. The tough thing about writing like a long manuscript or something like that is you net, you never really have a successful day, you know, like it, uh, until the day that you absolutely finish it, you know, it always feels like so incremental and so incremental. A lot of authors get really obsessed with their word count. And I'm actually one of the people that gets obsessed with their word count because that's the only little measure of success you can see three months before the book is due on a Tuesday. You know, uh, if I hit 1,500 words, then I'm on schedule or whatever. Uh, but it doesn't matter. Your book can end, end the day shorter than it began the day and be, be a better book. And so it's, you know, putting the time in and just the consistency over time and then, you know, not, not needing that uh, instant gratification. Yeah. 
Quick question. Is your goal roughly 15 to 2 ballpark? Yeah, 15 is good. Um, I, and if I don't hit it for a while, you know, just life gets in the way. I write the same amount of uh, books now that I did when I was single without three step kids and without four dogs and without anybody wanting to interview me or, or talk to me about anything. So I, I'm consistently writing the same number of words. So it gets tougher and tougher with other things. So there'll be months during the year where the, the output isn't as good. So I just have to make up for it. Uh, the book, book 12 in the Great Man series, I'm writing it now. And it's due in, at the end of July. And I'll hit that. But I mean, it was probably due in June. I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't even remember when, uh, when I was told it was due. I just kind of had it in my head. It's like, there's no way I can get this done before the film comes out. But right after the film comes out, um, I'll, I'll be in good shape. So I'm just incrementally picking away at it every day. And uh, it probably averages close to 1,500 words a day, between one and 2,000 words a day. And I guess the bigger question, Mark, is there a number, and I know Clancy books tend to be super fat, and you made the comment about this one, which is clocking just under 500 as yeah. being lightweight. Do yeah. you, is there a requirement in the Tom Clancy world of writing? It, does it have to be 150, 200, or et cetera? When I was writing with Clancy, I think it was in the contract and this was never anything my agent talked to me. I mean, my editor talked to me about, so it wasn't something like he was looking for or whatever. I think in the contract wording, it said a book of 150,000 words or more or something like that. But I never had any problem with that. Yeah. Um, the, the Gray Man novel, that, that book right there, uh, Armored, I think it's about 145 or 150. Most of my Gray Man clock in 150 to 165. Um, you know, I think the one I'm doing now might be just a tad shorter, but I wouldn't want to, you know, you, you ask if there's like a, you know, a, a contractual thing and, it, and yeah. it's more like, um, you know, this is what I've, this is what I've offered before. And if I gave them something wildly different, uh, I think the fans would be disappointed. And I, the, the Gray Man, my first novel is only a hundred thousand words. But then I started working with Clancy that kind of expanded things and people have an expectation of a Tom Clancy book because Tom Clancy just decided to, to write these big, massive tomes. And um, it's filtered over a little bit into my Gray Man novels, although each one I tell myself, um, you've got to have 100% of the action of the first book. You can just have more stuff in. You, you, know, you, you don't turn it into something you know, slow and boring just because it's longer. You, you, know, you, you, you keep the uh, pacing the same as it was. You just put more of it in there. I, I sat in on a panel about uh, novellas and short stories and how writing short stories is even harder. And as I heard, I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense. A lot of people yeah. think that's counterintuitive, but it actually makes right. sense to be able to tell. Yeah. yeah. So if someone came to you, Mark, and said, Mark, we have an idea. We want you to write this, but we really need you to put it in at about 60 to 70,000. What would that feel like to you? Well, you know, uh, superficially, it would feel like awesome, you know, because it, <laughs> it does, it takes less to, to, to do that number of words, but to tell the story, I, I was trying to write a screenplay forever when, and the screenplay actually turned into armor It started out as a, as you know, for film and it's just so hard to edit things down. You have these other ideas that if, when you're a novelist, you can expand on them and, um, you know, uh, go as deep as you want into something or, or go as wide as you want into something. And, uh, you know, it's, it's up to the public to decide if, you're, if you've done too much or too little. But um, it's, it is harder for me to edit myself down because I, I will be writing the story and I'll be like, well, I wonder what would happen if, you know, this 
the enemy had a relationship with somebody, you know, that wasn't, you know, that, that was friends with the protagonist. And it's like, oh, okay, let's go down that rabbit hole and see, see if that, you know, turns into something good. As I get older, I find that I will start writing things and realize I've kind of done a version of it in an earlier book because uh-huh. uh, my 22nd book is, you know, is armored. Um, so it's, it's hard to not tread over the same ground. So you have to be a little bit more careful with your plotting and stuff, but um, a 60,000 word novel sounds great, but I think yeah. it would actually turn out being pretty hard. Yeah, it sounds like, oh, I can whip that out this weekend if you need yeah. me to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Tom Colgan your editor? Correct, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Tom Colgan, folks, is probably, he's the he's the godfather, the Mac Daddy, <laughs> the, the head honcho of uh, editors. I got a chance to meet him. I've always been in awe of him. I follow him on social media, and uh, he told me that he's going to appear on the show in a future episode where we're going to be talking about the business of writing Mm -hmm. and what a nice and brilliant man yeah oh he's he's just a genuine person and he's really one of my best friends now and um he's really good at what he does and i at one of the panels where i was on at the craft fest was just him and i and we were talking about the agent author relationship and I was just saying, it's like so much of what Tom does is run interference with the publisher to, to give you the, the authors the creative space that they need. Um, you know, he, he's not a guy that yells at you about when it's due. He's a guy that very gently lets you know that it's due. Um, we're going to need yeah. that book, you know, but but I mean, in, in, in a way that doesn't freak you out because as creatively, you can just shut down if you're under too much pressure. That actually happened to me in, in one of the Clancy books. I remember just having like, absurd panic attacks the book was due like in a few days and I didn't feel like I even understood the book I was writing you know and um, he just got me a little more time and you know he had to fall on his sword with uh, you know with others to do that and um, everything worked out but throughout my career he's he's you know been there for me to help me with ideas to help me with you know obviously the editing part where he reads what I've written and says you know I'd like this a little developed a little more or I'm not sure I'm buying this part and and then just honestly just kind of shepherding you through the process to get the book out he wants a good book at the end and he's willing to fall on his sword <laughs> to let you create one for him again captain obvious here uh, for some reason it something just clicked and i'd never thought about it until you put it that way the best thing to understand about an editor is the so your agent takes care of you gets you the deal etc but the editor is that in between to the publisher so he he has the interest for you to get yeah. the best book uh, he has the interest for the publisher to make sure the best book is there, but he has to yeah. be more sensitive to you as the artist. So yeah, yeah. for whatever I, reason, I hadn't seen it quite that way. Yeah, I used to coach soccer, like adult amateur, but uh, adult soccer. And when I first beat this 18-year-old kid that's joined my team, um, you know, he's he's a hothead and all this other stuff. It's like, who needs him? But he's really, really good at what he does. Um, and the team needs them. So I have to find a way to work with this person. And, you know, different people have different personalities and all that. So there's no one size fits all. So I'm sure Tom, and I think he said this, he said, you know, the, the panel we were on, he said, it's basically the, not the agent author relationship, it's the Mark and Tom relationship, because every author has somewhat different relationship with, with the editor. They definitely are the ones that bring it all together, because there's 50 different elements that go into it from the art. And, you know, like every, everything, the scheduling and the copy editing and all that. And he has to sort of be in charge. He has to talk to all those people and keep them all happy and, you know, keep the authors happy as well. 
And you just said something that I hadn't put into my uh, mathematical equation. So if you're putting out two books a year, right, on average, mm -hmm. yeah, and he is uh, editing both of them, most mm -hmm. likely, and yeah. you're on a schedule to get it in the queue for book, a cover and balance and uh, word count and et cetera, fill in the blank, then that means your window is no less than six months I do two books a year, but it's not six months, six months. It's like six months for a draft. And then I'll be writing the next one while I'll bounce back for a couple of weeks and edit and I'll bounce back for a couple more weeks. So um, that's another sort of muscle you have to develop over time to be able to, to switch projects. And um, sometimes it's it's messier and sometimes it, it goes more smoothly. But, you know, I've, I've worked on Gray Man 12 since January, but, you know, that's thinking it up and coming up with some plot ideas. Uh, and it's due in July, so you know six or seven months. But uh, it'll be going back and forth between me and Tom and the copy editor and the proofreader and and whoever else from the end of July until middle to the end of October. But okay. I'll be way deep into something else, you know, yeah. writing something else while while I'm doing that back and forth. But just to break that one more step, and then I'm going to get off of it, is that still at, at we'll use the number 200 and roughly six months that this tells me this, like I, I would, uh, I think I've caught a couple of your social media posts where like, hey, I'm, I'm over here, but I got to hustle back to work on the book and people here, hear the threat. Oh, I'm working on my book. And then you're like, well, if you're putting out that volume and that many, you really do have to stack your day. Yeah, uh, it's it's a it, yeah again yeah I, I get I, I get people say like you know write faster and it, and it, obviously they mean it as a compliment yeah. um, or you know like now we have to wait a whole another year for this book in this series and and I'm always like you know I'm not painting a fence it's it's like the the ideas have to come and you have to develop them and um, I could never do two gray man books a year never ever ever uh, and and. Even if I wrote two books a year, I like to get away from one and do something else just to kind of move create creatively a little bit. One a year is is as tough as it is. It's full time. It's definitely yeah. full time. No, and with the wife and kids. All right, so let's get to Armored, which is a brilliant book. Uh, I, I do want to. Yeah, I loved it, Mark. I, the first, like the first section, you. God, it sounds like such a cliche. I'm going to stop calling attention to the fact it's a cliche, but I, you literally, you can't stop turning the pages because you're, and you're doing something that I really love. And you, I don't know that you did it in earlier books. You probably did. Maybe you didn't do it to this volume. And I've had a couple of conversations. Uh, Andrews Wilson, I talked this about this over breakfast. I've talked to Chris Hottie about it. I've talked to many guys about it. And people are uh, getting they really love the dialogue not only is it the white space of speed more movement yeah but that's what's really truly interesting hearing all these characters hearing duffy talk to his team things that happen in between the scenes but it's about the conversation and the conversations are so good and so on it thank you uh, no okay. I, I was just going to say that um, i did a lot of training with civilian contractors this is a, about uh civilian military contractors and, you know, just hearing how they talk and how they communicate over the radio and all those sort of things, you know, it's just great fodder to put that together. So the dialogue almost wrote, wrote itself. Once, once you build your characters and they're all working together, you know, it's like, I know how this guy talks. I know how this guy talks and I know how the tension can be created 
you know, between them. So that's actually, a, it was a really fun part of Armored. And I learned a few things. I mean, having not served in the military, I, I didn't know what a lot of the phrases are, especially mm -hmm. when they're on comms and they're going back and forth and they would uh, like break and then copy ready and so forth. Yeah. And, so on. and at first I'm like, oh, oh, that's how they get it to be so precise. Everything is so precise. Yeah, yeah. Radio discipline. Yeah. Uh, so while I was thinking that it was a reverse engineering of your audiobook that you and I talked about uh, on our mm -hmm. last conversation, I thought, oh, he just took the audiobook and turned it into the script. But then you tell me that it's really uh, was your first real attempt at a screenplay? Yeah. It, so previous to the fact of it being an audio play, it was a screenplay that I was working on not because anyone had asked me to write it. It was just an idea I had. And I would just sort of pick on it in what little free time I had while writing Tom Clancy novels and Gray Man novels. And after a few years, I, I remember I had a conversation with Joe Russo, the director, and I was talking about wanting, I've been writing a screenplay, but I'm the guy that writes 210,000 word Clancy books. And it's really hard to write 120, you know, like 700 page books. It's hard to write 120 page screenplay where as you said, I mean, it's 80% white, <laughs> white on the page. So it's not nearly the same thing. And uh, he said, you know what, it, even though, cause I told him I was like halfway through and I was at like page 180 and you know, the whole, the whole screenplay shouldn't be over 120 pages. Right. And, uh, and he's like, write it the way you want to write it and then figure it out after that. And that was the best advice, but it was still taking me forever because there was nobody breathing down my neck. I didn't have an editor saying this book is due in July or this book is due in January. So uh, Audible came to me and said, we want to do an audio play with you where we have a bunch of actors and sound effects and music and all that. And uh, do you have any ideas? And I pulled it up. I pulled out what I had, which was really only half of the story at that point. And I gave it to him. I said, here's what I'll do. If you like this and think I can turn this into an audio play, I'll finish it. I mean, obviously I'll totally redo it to, to make it audio for an audio play and they liked it so i did that so then i then i had somebody breathing down my neck and i got it finished but even as i was finished even as i was writing it i was like this could sell to hollywood and it, it did it was optioned by sony um the audio play itself was optioned by sony with michael bay and erwin stoff to direct it and um but then my my editor read it and he's like oh my gosh you know if you expanded this story and turned it into one of your big hundred fifty thousand word novels I think it would just be this really rich reading experience uh, separate from the audio play. Um, and, and they both have, you know, their strengths uh, for sure. But, you know, he asked me if I wanted to do that. And I said, absolutely. And he said, well, what about a three book deal to, for this series? And I was like, what about a two book deal? Because I've got an idea for book two, but nothing for book three comes in comes into mind yet. And I just don't have the mental space to even think of something. So I didn't want to overcommit, <laughs> but, um, you know, I definitely turned it into a book and then I'll write a sequel to it. Amazing. I was talking to Steve Stratton over dinner, who's an up and coming author. And yeah. we were talking about, I told him that I was reading this. I said, you know, I'm, I'm halfway done. I had just landed in New York and I finished mm -hmm. the other half on the way back. And, uh, he said, well, have you heard the audiobook?" And I'm like, oh, there's an audiobook." No, I'm kidding. And he said, man, it's amazing. Of course, I've heard it. And the, it, the way it's chock full of actors. And these are not uh, your backyard, schoolyard uh, hangout buddies. These are professional actors. The sound yeah, design, yeah. exceptional. Yeah. Audible really went to great lengths. You know, it, 
they had me listen to a couple of audio plays before I well, actually I asked them for suggestions of what to listen to to get an idea how to do it. And I was taken by the format like it wasn't a format I was familiar with. And, and I really liked it. And then I look at the reviews and they're very, very good. There is a there is a subset of people that, you know, they'll say they'll say they want a book read to them. They don't want a guy yelling and guns going off and music blaring. Um, you know, they're, they're like, I want the book read to me. And of course, if you if you look at that audio play, there's a there's a five minute sample that has all the actors and all the action. And then when it says narrator, there's like twenty nine people. So um, I, I don't feel like anybody was tricked. But I mean, that's like one or two percent of people. And no one complained about the story. It was just the format they didn't like. But yeah. most most people do. I mean, most people are used to a 15 hour uh, novel just being read to you by one person. And this is you hear gun trucks going through the mountains under fire, you know, getting hit by RPGs. And so. It's a very different experience, but it's a very immersive experience. And, you know, I'd recommend people give it a few minutes before going like, oh, they're yelling. I'm out of here. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty authentic. It's really good actors. Yeah, you're not going to put in your earphone or your headphones and uh, or earbuds and, and roll into bed and, and try to drift off to sleep because that ain't <laughs> yeah, going to no. happen. <laughs> that's not that, that's not what this was written for. No, but if you're taking a cross country trip and you got the gaggle of kids, hand them their uh, electronic devices, put in the earpods and just get rocking. Yeah, I love it because I'm from a radio background, as you very well know. And so mm -hmm. my whole world has been creating that world through audio. So I'm, right. a, I'm an enormous fan. Hey, this is Mark Graney. I'm the author of Armored, and I am hanging out here with David Temple, my buddy, on the Thriller Zone. And now back to the show. You know, the novel has it all. In case you're not aware of Mark Graney and you've been sleeping in a cave somewhere, I mean, it's it's basically guns, action, cartel, even has a little love story sandwich in between, which gives it lots of heart. And I love that. And I couldn't help but thinking about you and Allison because I'm like, you know, I mean, you you are a family guy, you're a sensitive guy, you write, you know, bloody warfare, but it's it's great to see, I have to imagine that you're reflecting a little bit of that tenderness of your own life into that to give it the reality, right? Yeah, sure. I, you know, I didn't have kids, uh, Josh Duffy, the, the protagonist of, of this story, there's really two protagonists, his wife is Nicole Duffy, and she's a very alpha female, but I, I wanted to portray an alpha female in a positive way because you know I know a lot of alpha females yeah and um and you know she's she's a very take charge person but a lot of times you see that in literature as you know I don't know overbearing or something like that and she's not yeah. like that at all they work really well together but they're I wanted to kind of do like a little flip on the personalities of what people would expect you know it's like this is the 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 woman back home with the children which is true but she's also not going to let her husband, you know, do anything. You know, she, she's definitely invested in the story and, and very involved in the, the resolution of how he makes his way through. So, I, you know, I, there was that. But also, um, Duffy is a young guy with kids. I didn't have kids until, you know, a year and a half ago, <laughs> no, yeah. stepkids. Um, so it's very different from my experience. But at the same time, you know, the, the, the tenderness, I mean, and any story where your hero has vulnerabilities as well as strengths. And I mean, there's nothing more, there's no greater vulnerability than him being essentially at war and knowing that, you know, he has children back home who, who need him. And uh, so that, that permeates the entire story. Yeah. Well, mission accomplished. It was really nice. I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. I was, <laughs> I was checking your Twitter feed 
and I saw the gray man stash. Yeah. Lloyd's trash. Yeah. Is that a real thing? It is a real thing. Netflix is selling a mustache that looks like the um, kind of dramatic uh, mustache that Chris, Chris Evans sports throughout the film. I think he had a real one. Uh, but yeah, they actually sold out on Twitter. Um, I don't have any insight. <laughs> I'm not getting a buck out of each of those or whatever. But um, I saw on Twitter that they had sold out of the sold out of a mustache. And then yeah. Chris Evans like tweeted, he's like, I'm growing them as fast as I can. <laughs> Before we get to uh, rapid fire questions, I do have this question. Uh, and, and we were, you know, last time we spoke about the book uh, CR6, which it feels as though so little time has passed between that and Armored. I mean, it was, it was mid-February when that one came out. So this is, a, this is a pretty quick turnaround. I mean, even on years where I release two books a year, they're usually a little bit more spread out. Yeah. Um, but then I also had the audio play, which came out in December, and I have the film, which comes out July 15th. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of had it in my head for a year that I'm going to have four releases in about a nine-month period, and it's going to be uh, kind of hectic. And uh, here we are. Yeah. Oh, you're going to love uh, one of the rapid fire questions then, because it's going to relate to some of that. But uh, I do want to ask that is before we hit that, I want to ask that one question. You've already kind of answered it. So forgive me for repeating it, but it's on my lineup of things to do, because I always ask the authors, especially prolific ones as yourself. If you had to boil it down, Mark, to like one single best piece of advice that you would give aspiring writers, because so many aspiring writers are listening to this podcast what would that be? Hard to do just one. Um, I usually say- You can so do seven if you'd like. I, I was going to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do two, but uh, both as if they're the, the most important. One thing is your first 10 pages have to be perfect. You're writing your first, you're writing your submission just for the editor or the agent you want to read it. And so I just taught a masterclass last week and every one of those nine people that was in that class was a very good writer. I was like, it's great writing, it's great writing. But in every one of them, or virtually every one of them, I could see a mechanical fix. Like, yeah, this thing that happens on page seven, if you've made that page one and found, found a way to sort of like work it in at the beginning or, or remove that exposition or something like that. Because if an editor, if you're lucky enough to have an agent or an editor start reading your work, they're, they're not obligated to read any, you know, two words. <laughs> so they don't like your first word, you know, at any point they can pitch it. So I was really stressing to the, to the classes I've done before. You, uh, you just want to make it as perfect as you possibly can. And really those first 10 pages have to, they have to show that it's a thriller. You know, they can't, you can't do 10 pages of world building. And this is a, this is a normal guy and something cool is going to happen to him on page 30, but now let's just show him at work or, you know, out, you know, getting lunch or something like that. That's not how this not not how this works. It might work that way in your head as, as you think about being a storyteller, but it's mechanically it looks very different on the page. So if you get your first ten pages as a propulsive as you possibly can, I think that's a great thing. The other thing I would say is to finish something, even if it's not a book, even if it's a short story or a novella, um, you know, twenty twenty five thousand word work or anything, a novel, whatever just to do at the beginning, the middle and the end, and then to go back and copy edit it and to go back and, you know, like edit it and figure out what works and what doesn't. To get something as good as you can possibly make it is the best way to learn all of the skills that you need to be a writer. Because so many people just write the easy, cool ideas they have in their head and then go off to something else and go off to something else. And they can't, they can't ever really put all the connective tissue in there that, that makes it into a cohesive story. So, 
if you if you can fight your way through and finish something short, medium, or long, then um, then you you exercise all of those muscles that you need to need to develop. I remember that uh, back in the winter when we spoke. That was the one thing I'll walk away with: finish something, and it's as yeah. simple as that. All nine of the submissions that I read from the class, you know, and it, all the students were in the class and we, I'd already copied, I'd already read each one twice and copy edited every line. Um, every one of them was, was really good, but just needed some sort of like little flip, like let's open it differently here, or let's thin this out a little bit, or let's, I think you've developed one too many characters in the first 10 pages to, to really have somebody to lock onto uh, mentally, you know, maybe wait, till page 25 to, to go a little bit more. Um, but again, it's all about getting the editor to read to the end of the page and then to start the next page. And you really have to knock their socks off on page one. Tammy and I were walking this morning, walking the dog this morning. We were discussing what I've learned over the span of like the last two Thriller Fest. And we were just kind of condensing some of the accessibility that I've had and the education that I've had hanging out with guys like you and going to Thriller Fest and such. And, and I came away with a, and some of this is going to be a little, yeah, uh, crisp, but I came with a crystal clear understanding of the business in a way that I, I don't think I had fully done before. Yeah. And it's this, and ex again, excuse the dumb moment, but you really have to put every single solitary effort into making, number one, the absolute best book you can, as though it's the only, like you only had one chance to succeed. Cause we all, we have this thought about, Oh, you know, I'll write this. And if it doesn't work, I'll go over here. But yeah. I, I walk away with this, like, Mark, you, you got one chance. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a big commitment to get it, to, to get it right. But I mean, yeah, that's, you know, if, if you get a hundred thousand things, right. Then you'll have probably get your book <laughs> published, but you know, they're all, None of them are, are are rocket science, you know. It's just it's just uh, it's just recognizing stuff, right? And to take it one step further, moreover, it has to be superlatively unique. Now, I'm not saying original because there isn't, as we all know, anything original. But in some tiny way, it has to be really unique, as though it's never been done before. Yeah. Because especially in the world of military thrillers, where you spend a lot of your time, the competition is so stiff that unless you have you know, the experience and or a dose of research and or yeah. a unique twist to step into your arena. When I think about you and Don Bentley and uh, Brad Taylor and, you know, the, the and Jack Carr, the hitters. And, and you don't and I was talking to Steve Stratton about this and I'm looking at all his vast military background. I'm like, man, if you don't have that on your deck and then a great imagination and then on top of that, a great work that work ethic and then mm -hmm. something original, it, it's really tough for you to compete when the business. Their bottom line is to make money. Right, right. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, there's there's so many people that served in the military um awesome people that thinks that that's the calling card they need and i didn't serve in the military tom clancy didn't serve in the military um just the research got us as far as we did and the authenticity can be recreated but the uh the narrative abilities the the storytelling abilities that's that's what's important so if you've got if you've got both like brad taylor or somebody like that um is really good storyteller and has all this experience. He has a lot of experience that he can't even talk about. So, yeah. um, 
and he won't talk about it, but um, so he, <laughs> he comes up with other things, you know, but um, you know, he's, he's really good at his craft. And then, but then there's, you know, I've, I've been given uh, books by people that were in the military that, that quite, that maybe were too uh, specific to, to them or, you know, like I've, I've talked to people that like, okay, I'm like, okay, this guy's got six different names on page six of the book because he has a call sign and then the people back at the jock call him this and then his friends call him this and, this, and it's all developed and it's like, it's just storytelling mechanics have to be there regardless of what your expertise is. Yeah. Uh, I say all of that, by the way, not to discourage anyone. I think it's just the caveat that you you really have to just you have to be an Olympic athlete. You can't be a weekend warrior. You can't just half ass it in any yeah. one of those aspects. Right. Yeah, I, I was committed to writing Gray Man because I've, I've, I've given something else to this agent and something before that. And each time he was like, I was getting closer and closer to getting published. So yeah, I wrote Gray Man in six months in 2007 between like 5.30 in the morning and 7.30 before going to work every day. And then uh, some on the weekends. And then I went over to Europe for like nine days to do location research just with a backpack. And it, it, it was, it did feel like you're training for something. You know, it, it, was, it was as much effort as you could put into something. And that's because I sort of saw the light at the end of the tunnel maybe. Um, yeah. Whereas before I worked a little bit slower, but um you know it's it's the way to do it i mean the, all the reasons to not write there's great excuses i mean they're legitimate excuses to not write because you know you're you're busy or you're tired or whatever but it's almost like you have to make time you just sort of have to sleep less or uh you know change change other aspects of, of your life to, yeah. to do it by the way b before we start to wrap up and i say this with with real sincerity because you know me by now is that i really appreciate your taking the time uh, i know your schedule is busy you're stacked you got family and you're asked a lot of hopefully not a lot of these but a lot of the same questions on over and over so i just want to say am. thank you for just always being so gracious with your time oh it's my pleasure i, I enjoy doing it for sure all right now on to some fun stuff you and your wife, Allison, have been given the chance to get away, and this is a real layup, to an exotic island. Oh, I don't know, maybe like Hawaii? You don't even have to think about writing. I mean, not, you don't even have to sign a dinner bill, okay? Nothing. What would you spend if you had 30 days? This is just me getting inside Mark Granny's life. What would you spend 30 days doing with zero pressure? Uh, a lot more reading, which sounds like a, a cliche answer for a writer, but... I, I have just this never ending, it's the opposite of never ending, always growing uh, stack of books that I want to read because people I respect are like, oh my gosh, have you read Philip Kerr or, or I say Crosby or, you know, all these people, David McCloskey and, you know, all these people that everybody's talking about. And I always, I always like get them on Kindle instantly. And then I had so little time to read. So if I had 30 days uh, with my wife on an island, we would, you know, we would eat well, <laughs> she would cook a lot. And, uh, you know, we would walk around and do all the tourist things because we like that. But um, I would spend a lot more time reading and scuba diving because I like to dive. She does not dive. So we wouldn't be doing that together. But uh, nice. A lot of scuba diving. What's your what, uh, side note? What's your percentage, do you think, of fiction, nonfiction? Are you predominantly fiction or do you? That I read, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, I read fiction to write blurbs for people um, uh, for pleasure. I would read it, but I would I definitely read more nonfiction because a lot of it's research for the books that I'm writing. And, and um, so, I mean, the last 
three things that I've read very recently are all nonfiction. Gotcha. And, okay. um, and, uh, but you know, it's not necessarily by choice. It's just sort of like, you know, this is research stuff. I mean, I like, I like the stuff that I read. I just read Bill Browder's new book about, uh, Rush, the Russian oligarchs and everything and freezing order. And, and just, it was read as good as any novel I've read in years. Wow. Uh, and it's, and it's nonfiction, but, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to read more fiction and, um, I, I do read it for blurbs, you know, which is an editor or an author asked me to read. Having said that, it has to sort of come through the agent editor yeah. process. And it's yeah. not like if you, if you send me your book on Gmail, uh, I'm not going to be able to read it for you. Takes <laughs> time. Did you hear that, folks? Do not send <laughs> your book. All right, here's an obscure one. You awake one day, Mark, to find out, oh, shit, you are suffering the most wacky bout of amnesia. The only thing you can recognize is your wife and family, but you don't have a clue of anything to do with the gray man. You don't know Jack Ryan. You don't know nothing. Oh, and you may never recover. We don't know. What would you see yourself doing? You know, if you had, you don't have this worry, but if you had to make a living and you didn't have any of that IP in your brain, what would it be? Yeah. You know, I worked in different elements of international business for a long, long time, um, you know, like with Latin America or with Europe or with Asia um, in just different companies that I worked for. So it was all some kind of uh, international business. I was in the medical device field for the last nine years before I would, became a full-time author. And uh, I dealt with my company's subsidiaries in Latin America. And uh, previous to that, I'd done a lot of import export stuff. And oh, wow. I always kind of like, I mean, I didn't kind of like it. I, I, I like doing it. Um, I had a lot of social anxiety back then. And so I never like went into direct sales where all the money was because <laughs> I was just, I was just a little too like anxious about that sort of thing. So I was always like supporting, I was supporting the people that made the money and they all got along. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like some element of that, if I have my lack of social anxiety that I have now, I'd probably be pretty good in that business. Whereas before I was just like, you know, i I would never get the office. I was always going to be the cubicle guy. Um, so I was limited in that behavior, but I, I love other countries and cultures and um, I enjoyed the business end of it as well. That is an awesome insight. I, and I yeah. never would have guessed that because you seem so gregarious and self-assured and yeah, it, it that's come in the last six, seven, eight years or something wow. like that. I was super, super nervous and anxious. Even, even when I became an author, the first few no, the first couple dozen events I did were <laughs> were very worrisome, and now I can MC a banquet in front of 400 people and and you know have fun with it. So yeah, it's, yeah, you just keep doing something, you get better at it. <laughs> sure, yeah, you killed it. All right, here's number three. I may have asked this before last time we chatted. I don't recall, but you and Allison are joining me and Tammy for dinner here at our home in so, uh, San Diego to celebrate your next monster success. Anyhow, you get to invite two more people, so we can round it out to a nice little sixum for a dinner party. Who would you invite, living or dead, and why? Not to be political, but I really like a guy named Jonah Goldberg, who is, I don't know him or anything like that. He's a, he's a I guess, a, uh, writes editorials and he's on TV quite a bit. He's a conservative guy, but very, very open-minded. And, and um, I've always like wanted to meet him and hang out with him and stuff like that. I would also like, you know, there's, there's a million names I could say, but somebody like uh, Eisenhower or somebody like that. I've always been fascinated with military history and the Second World War. My dad was in combat in Germany in World War II. And, um, you know, if I couldn't have my dad, which would probably be the, <laughs> the best, my mom and my dad who yeah. both died. But, um, you know, like somebody from that era, um, I, my aunt who just recently passed away, she was in a, a 
nursing home. And I met a guy that was that was on Omaha Beach on June 6, 1944. And people say that, and I, and I know how to tell if they're lying or not. You know, I talk very detailed. And within like 20 seconds, I was going like, oh, crap, he really was. Yeah. And the man passed the man passed away a couple months later. And uh, we, we all had lunch together. And uh, and I just remember going like, how lucky am I that I had that conversation? He didn't he, he got in like mid afternoon. He wasn't like in the first, like nobody in the first wave is going to be talking to you um, or Right. really anybody anybody that got there before 10 in the morning probably isn't going to be talking to you um but he got there that afternoon on on june 6th and i just thought that was like a, re a remarkable moment in my life just to, to share that experience with him man that would make for an interesting evening yeah so yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna expand it it's gonna be the first gentleman you mentioned eisenhower and both mom and dad now we, mm -hmm. we got a great evening there we go yeah 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 <laughs> well folks uh if you'd like to learn more it's real easy. All you got to do is go to markgrainybooks.com where, oh, by the way, can I insert this? His website is hosted by the company authorbytes.com, who is now one of our key sponsors of the show. They're a good company. They're, they're, they're great to work with. So there's, there's a plug. <laughs> they, they've earned it. Well, did I tell you, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, when I ran across your website, Brad Taylor and Don Bentley's website, when I was researching to build a website and, and you three guys popped up and I'm like, wow, all right, because it's as slick as it gets. And so I researched them, hired them, and here a year later, they're a sponsor. So, well, I, that's exactly how I found AuthorBytes. I think Brad Taylor had them and, uh, and I liked his site. And, uh, and so then I asked him about it and I think... If, or maybe I had that backwards. It's been so long and so much has happened. He, maybe he saw mine or I saw his, but yeah. I know we like we, we went back to back. Either way, we all ended up with the best company in the business. Yeah. yeah. Also, you can follow him on Twitter, which is always good fun. You can find out about that mustache at Mark Graney Book and Instagram, where I spend entirely too much time. Mark Graney Books, plural. But, my, uh, you know, Mark, I got to tell you, you are truly you're one of the best good guys in the business. You've always been kind with your time. When I met you at Thriller Fest and there are 900 people rushing you, you took time to talk, so. Oh uh, yeah, no, it's great to finally meet you in person. Yeah. The book, of course, is now armored. And if you don't read this, then you're just sleeping at the wheel. This thing, it is gonna take you a little bit, but, and don't read it late at night because <laughs> it'll jack you up. Yeah, it's intense. <laughs> My last question, is the art behind you? Because because we brought no, that's this up. not yeah that one's not that is not my wife's um that my wife had that, that commission for the office you know with the colors and, and all that um but yeah the last time i was on your show you asked me about a piece of art behind me and i was like i don't know who that is and uh, i got up and checked as soon as we were off in case someone else asked me because it wasn't in this room I, the power was out so i'd move into the dining room yeah. And I looked to see who the author, uh, who the, the painter was, and it was my wife. And she, we have her paintings. She's a really great artist. We have her paintings throughout the house, but that's a sort of a different style from what she usually does. Yeah. And may, maybe I knew at one point, but uh, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh crap, I'm in the doghouse now. So I went out and told her, it's like, from now on, anytime somebody asks me, I don't know. Does she have a gallery or a website that I could promote for her? Uh, yes. Uh, Allison Graney art is on Instagram, but um, it, she doesn't have a, a gallery. She shows here locally. And, um, but yeah, so it's, it's Allison Graney art, I think is, is what it is. Okay. Enjoy yourself in Hawaii and please give my best to a lovely Allison. I will, David. Thank you so much for having me again. 
Thanks again, Mark. Always good to have you on the show. Once again, the book is Armored. Mark Grady is the author. We all know him by now, right? Check it out. Now, let's talk about next week's guest on the podcast. Probably, yeah, easily in the same league. Our guest will be, look at this. Don Bentley's going to be here talking about zero hour. How do we do it? How do we do it? <laughs> so looking forward to this. Don is uh, one of those guys. He's just true blue, masterful talent, knows what he's talking about. I mean, you don't get into the world of Tom Clancy unless you know what you're doing, right? Boy, it's another Jack Ryan Jr. novel, and I can hardly wait. Before I scoot off, I do want to say once again, thank you to my sponsors, AuthorBytes.com. As you noticed, AuthorBytes is the website host and builder and developer that uh, put together Mark Graney's website. I could not be happier or more proud than to have AuthorBytes.com as my key sponsor. Also, thank you to Writer's Block Coffee, keeping me stocked full of tasty deadline dark roast 15% off your first order. Yes. Use the Thriller Zone for both of those sponsors and you'll get the deal thanks to the Thriller Zone. All right, folks, I'm going to ask you to do me one tiny little favor. Could you spin across to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Thriller Zone. Subscribe to the channel. It, you know, it keeps you up to date and on top of the world whenever we have a new video drop. And we have a stunning lineup for the remainder of June, the entire summer, the rest of the year. We are rolling in to season three with a bang. So just stop by, subscribe, click the bell for alerts. And of course, you can always leave us a five-star review on any of your favorite podcast channels, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. We greatly appreciate it. All right, I'm David Temple, your host. Until next time, I'll see you for another edition of The Thriller Zone. Man, do I like coffee. And as much as I don't want to sound like a bean snob, I am. There I said it. I mean, once you've tried fresh roasted coffee... Why would you settle for anything else, right? That's why I'm happy to announce a new sponsor to the Thriller Zone, Writer's Block Coffee. Why Writer's Block Coffee? Here's why. Super easy. The coffee is naturally processed, which means the way the coffee cherries are harvested uses much less water than the big brands. That benefits the environment and the economic and political stability of the places coffee's grown, such as Ethiopia, which is where they make their flagship Writer's Block Coffee. Also, their coffee is specialty grade, which scores in the 80s on a scale of 1 to 100. That means the beans are in the top 5% of the world in terms of quality. Woo, I love this. They donate a percentage of their profits to an organization called First Book. It's a nonprofit that supports literacy with kids. It's a great cause that helps build the next generation of readers. And perhaps my favorite, their coffee is roasted to order. That means the beans do not sit on a shelf, but are roasted and shipped only after you order. Might take a little bit longer, but I'll tell you something. You're going to smell the difference the minute you open your mailbox. And here is the winning round. Here's the tasty bonus. Order today and get 15% off your first order with the code THETHRILLERZONE. 
Try Writer's Block Coffee and taste the difference of roasted to order. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.